I uh, told myself I wouldn't cry the second time Graham gave me that introduction. <laughs> I am a little bit. Uh, man, it is great to be with you guys this morning. Did you know, I, they, we did five, uh, whatever, high fives or whatever. Did you know that Pastor Graham and Heather announced that they're having a baby this week, that they're pregnant? Yeah. I was like, this should be one through five. We should just celebrate this, that we get to bring new lives that love Jesus into the world. Can we also, I, I didn't get to do this in the 9 a.m., um, but, you know, Pastor Jason was my youth pastor when I was a teenager. Um, he was my, he hired me for my first ministry position. This house, Wellspring Church, was so foundational for my life and ministry, for my faith as a man of God. Can we just thank Pastor Jason also? Because God gave Pastor Jason a dream, and he gave him a vision for what could happen in Tom's River. And I just love seeing the fruit of that vision that God gave to Pastor Jason. Um, so it was just great to be with you guys. It's great to be in Jersey. Man, it is tough. I'm a Colorado boy now. I do not fit in at all. When I tell you these people are nice, they are too nice. Like you thought you liked nice people, right? Every, every once in a while, you like ask for a nice person to this show. I've seen a nice person in my day. You don't. Like I've got all of them. I don't like them. They don't like me. Um, no, they're so nice. Like you get in line at the at the supermarket and you're and they let people cut in front of them that end up cutting you. Like no one's in a rush. And George, you can't. I, yesterday I saw two guys fighting over a bagel order. I was like, oh, it's good to be home, man. Like in, in Colorado, they're like, no, it's your bagel. No, it's your bagel. It's your. I'm like, someone just take the stupid bagel and get out of my way. Like. We don't even have good bagels. They're not, even, they're not worth fighting over. Maybe that's why they don't fight. The food is not good. Anyway, it's good to be in Jersey last night. My fiance, I have a new fiance, Ashley. Stand up. Stand up. That's as tall as she is. She's still sitting down, but that's how tall she is if she were to stand up, too. Uh, she's a five-foot Dominican girl from New York City. I'm a 6'4 Jersey boy, Italian Jersey boy. Um, so we're a little lopsided. It's interesting, the two of us, between the two of us, we're both always right, but we never agree. It's really interesting. It's this new relationship thing that I'm learning. I could, I could never be on the same page and always be right and wrong at the same time. Um, no, but it's been a blessing to be here uh, with her this weekend. And we're just excited because we believe that the Lord is going to do something today in this room. Uh, the Lord moved at the 9 a.m. and there were people's lives that were just, their hearts that were just open to what the Holy Spirit wanted to speak to them. Um, so my message for you today during the Summer Glow Up series, I, Summer Glow Up is a little close to my heart right now. I'm getting married, like I said, in a couple months. So I'm really working right now on my Summer Glow Up. But if you're like me, the gym isn't working out. So you just pray for a miracle on Sunday morning. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I've been going to the gym. It ain't working. Um, so now I just come to church and pray that Jesus does a miracle in my life. Um, but if that's you, you're in the right place because the Lord wants to do something in this room. And my title of my message today is that hope is close. Hope is close. I remember I was three years old. I didn't verify the story with my mom. I got an Italian mother, so she's going to yell at me if I get the story wrong. But I was about three years old, and I was at the toy store with my mother and my sister. And, you know, you know those little, like, sand tables that you play? They got, like, the buckets and stuff. And we're in this toy store, and I'm playing on this sand table. And you know when you're, you're driving on the parkway and it's been like 20 miles and you forgot that you were driving? And you like wake up, you're like, oh. Like, somehow I went from like brick to like Barnegat and I haven't paid any attention. And you're like, whoa, I'm up. And uh, this was me at the table at three years old. I'm sitting on this table. I'm like, oh, where's my mom? 
And I start looking around, and I can't find my mom. And, you know, the, this table, I'm, I'm playing at it, and I made some new friends, and I totally forgot that I was there with my mother and sister. So I start running around the school, store, like, frantically. I'm running around. I'm looking, Mom. Now, something you got to know about my mom is she is like a mother bear. She is protective. She is nurturing. Um, she is wonderful. You don't want to cross her. She's a prayer warrior, and she's Italian. You do not want to cross this woman. And so I'm running around the store looking everywhere for my mom, and I can't find her, and I start crying. And um, I ran to the front desk, I guess the, the register, and they made a big announcement over the speaker. They were like, if you are Jordan Arcee's mom, <laughs> please come to the front. And sure enough, she was looking for me too, and she was just one aisle over. And she comes running, and she's crying, and I'm crying, and we hug, and we have this embrace. And in this moment, I feel safe, but just a moment ago, I had felt so lost. And what I didn't realize in this moment that I felt lost, that I felt forgotten, that I felt all alone is that hope was close. Hope was close. It was one call to find my mom, to feel the pressures of the world relieved. And I think a lot of us walk in here this morning as I was preparing a sermon for you, I felt the Lord showing me that a lot of us are walking in here this morning and it feels like God is very distant. It feels like God is very far. It feels like maybe he has forgotten us. Maybe he has left us. Maybe we're just doing this thing all alone. But my encouragement for you today is that hope is close. We're going to be looking at the book of Luke today, Luke 18, 1 through 8. You guys have been working through this all summer long over the past couple of weeks at least. And what we're going to see here is that we can run to the world for everything. We can run to the world for anything. But when we call on the name of Jesus, when we call on God, he is speedy to our help. So let's open this up, if you would. Luke 18, 1 through 8. And he told them a parable. I'm not even there in my Bible. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though neither I fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect? who cry to him day and night, will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now, I was studying this, and I, I was reminded of how helpful the Bible is, right? Like the Bible in every season and everything that we need, this is God's guide that he has given us to our lives, from Genesis to Revelation, it tells us the story of hope. It tells us the story of the character of God, of the plan of God, of God's call on our lives. And I was reminded here of the help that scripture really is. There was a study a few months ago that came out that I was enlightened by that I was reading. And it said that 340,000 cross-references are in scripture. 340 times, if you were to read the Bible, 340,000 times, it references itself. It studies itself. 
And it's just beautiful how scripture has become a help not only to us, but to interpreting the rest of the Bible. Now, what I love about this particular passage is the author Luke does something really interesting. In verse one, he actually tells us exactly what the whole parable is about. Now, I'm the preacher. It's literally my job. I get paid to tell you what the passage is about. But Luke just made my job a lot easier because he tells us, he opens, he says, Jesus told them a parable so that they would always pray and not lose heart. The goal is that you would always pray and not lose heart. Now, why would Luke be coming towards us in this direction? Why would he be speaking to us this way? And it might be that Luke knows that there's a lot of people that have lost heart and lost hope. Maybe there's a lot of people who have forgotten the God that they serve. Maybe this morning there's some of us that have lost hope in a lot of areas of our lives. We feel like God is far from us. We feel that he is not near. We feel that our situations are hopeless. And the message that Luke has for us, he says, look at all that Jesus did here. If I could culminate it all, it would be so that you would become a person of hope that you would be a person of hope. This is not an adjective to describe a believer. Hope is not an adjective that I describe my life by, but rather it's an identity of who I am as a follower of Christ, that I am a person of hope because I know Jesus and I know the future and the plans that he has for me. We are a people of hope. Now, it makes sense that Luke would do this here in the narrative because God has been doing this all throughout Scripture. All throughout Scripture, we see this theme of hope that a lot of what God does, the reason that he reveals himself to us, the reason that he performs miracles, a lot of what he does is so that you would have hope. In fact, hope is often the end goal that is presented. It talks about it in Jeremiah 29, 11. It says that I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans of welfare and not for evil to give you future and hope. Romans 15, 13 says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would what? Abound in hope. Hebrews 11, 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. 1 Peter 1, 3, blessed be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to living hope through the resurrection of Christ. And here again, he's saying hope is the goal for you. What I have for you is not a hopeless life. What I have for you is not a fearful life. What I have for you is not an anxious and a depressed life. What I have for you, what Christ has for you in his kingdom is a hope-filled life. This is the call of the Christian. This is how the world should witness God's people. Now, when I read scripture, there's often two different ways that I approach scripture. The first would be to know about God when I read scripture. And there's certain questions that I ask when I want to know about God. I want to know about what he's trying to explain. But then there's a second group of questions that I ask, and it's based on if I want to actually just know God. Now, I can know about God or I can know God, right? You've probably heard it said that the Bible is the only book that while you read it, it also reads you because it should be churning something inside of me, right? So if I'm gonna ask questions to know about God, I'm gonna ask things like, who's the author of this book? Okay, Luke is the author of this book. What is he telling us about? Well, he's sharing with us this parable that was taught by Jesus, that was taught to people probably between the years of 30 and 33 AD, because this is the time of Jesus's ministry. So there's questions that we can answer to know about God and what God's intention for this book was. It would be important to know that in this day and age, the woman who's most likely coming before this judge has been kicked out of her house. 
She was probably previously married. She probably had kids. And now that her husband has divorced her and thrown her out, she's out on the streets. And she's asking this judge for justice. Would you just help me? Would you take care of me? And Jesus is not only addressing the fact that God delivers on his promises and that God has hope for us, but he's also teaching his disciples in this moment that we are supposed to be caring for the people who are less fortunate. He's reminding them of something that has happened from the beginning of time that God always has had his eyes out for those in need. So he's reminding his disciples of this while also teaching them a truth about God, that God is to be hoped in, hoped for, and we shall not just succumb to the things of the world, but we have Christ. That's what I would ask if I wanted to know about God. Now, to know about God. I have a study every Tuesday and Thursday morning throughout the summer uh, back in Colorado. I got my middle school students on Tuesday morning. I got my high school students on Thursday morning. We're just doing an eight-week series on Colossians. And it was so funny. The first day of this study, all of my students showed up, and they were, like, asking their parents to get them, like, Bible commentaries. And they had been watching these cool videos on, like, picking apart Scripture and how to exegete Scripture and learn it and teach it and whatnot. And I loved this, right? Because they really wanted to know about God. They really wanted to learn about scripture. But I told them on the first day, I said, listen, our goal of this summer series is that we wouldn't just learn about God, but we would actually get to know him. That every day when we sat with scripture and we opened up the Bible, that I would be inviting the Holy Spirit in to help me discern what the Holy Spirit wants to do in my life. God, what, because of this passage, what do you want to do in my heart? God, because of this passage, what are you confronting in me? How are you changing me? How are you making me more into the likeness of Christ? And every morning so far, we've had moments of tears. We've had moments of heartbreak. We've had moments where students are just hearing from the Lord and hearing what God has for them. And it's so interesting how oftentimes the thing that God wants to speak to you, has anyone ever been in church and the pastor's preaching something and it has nothing to do with what he preached about and the Lord just like broke something in your heart or moved you in a different direction? Oftentimes when we are reading scripture with God, he'll do things in us. So the first question that I always ask is, Lord, what are you asking me? Just as I read this, Lord, what are you asking me? And as I read about a woman, a widow, who's in a city, constantly, constantly asking for this man, this judge, to give her justice, what the Lord is asking me is, why are you looking to them what I can give you? He's asking you, why are you looking to the world for the things that I have for you? God is speaking to us this morning, and he's confronting the areas of our life that we need validation He's confronting the areas of our life that I'm seeking for, for value from other people. He's confronting, why, why do you need your boss to say that for you? Why do you need her to say that for you? Why do you need him to say that for you? Why do you need your friends to treat you that way? Why do you need this from the world when I have for you everything that you need? I have one friend who constantly confronts me. Friends who confront you are good. And he always says this one thing to me. He always says, well, if Jesus didn't say it, why do you believe it? Because I think a lot of us live in lies, right? A lot of us believe that things will never get better. A lot of us believe that I am what people say about me. A lot of us believe just lies that have been spoken over us. And here's the reality. When you believe a lie that's been spoken over you, it turns into a curse that you live with. It's a curse that you live with. And God is not a God of curses. He's a God of blessing. So a lot of us sit here this morning hopeless because we probably believe things that aren't true. We believe things that God never said. And I don't know... I mean, I know why you believe them, because I believe lies too. But what's being confronted in me, even in this moment, 
is the things that I believe that God never said. So who are you asking for validation? Why are you asking them for those things? The second question that I ask my students as we're reading through this is what fear is this exposing in you? Which is a scary one, right? We're tough, right? We don't want to admit that we're fearful. We don't want to be scared. But when I read this, I hear the Holy Spirit asking me the question, do I actually believe that God is who he says that he is? And if I do, because I think everyone would like to say that we do, then why do I still run to the world for everything that I need? Time and time again, she goes to this court and she asks the judge all of the questions. Come on, give me justice, give me justice, give me justice, give me justice. And she's beating her head against the wall. She's constantly hitting the ceiling. She's constantly expending all of her energy. It doesn't really talk about what she's offering in this time. It says that the judge is getting tired. But what about this woman who's constantly going to the same place, getting the same answer, leaving with the same results? Exhaustion. And all of you have felt like this in some time of your life that you have just been pouring so much into something and there was no fruit because of it. And then she turns to God in one moment and speedily her answer is there. So the fear that's exposing in me is maybe I don't trust in God as much as I think I do. Maybe I have head knowledge that I love God, that God loves me, that God knows me, but I don't think I wake up every day just knowing that the Lord has provision for me for this day. And I think this is the things that are being exposed in me. And lastly, the question that I ask is what promises is God speaking over me? As I read this passage, what promise is God speaking? And I believe it's the same promise for all of us this morning is that we are a people of hope. We're a people of hope. At the end of this, he says, Christ will come and will he find faith? Will he find faith in you and I? Will he know you and I? When he comes to your house tonight, if he was in this room right now, have we given up hope? Have we stopped praying for the things that we should be praying for? Have we started looking elsewhere? Have, do we have hope? Now, what is hope? I have a personal definition. This is our anchor statement of this morning and is that hope is the anticipation of God's intervention. If I actually have hope, then I actually believe that God might do something on my behalf. If I have hope that God cares about my life, then why am I looking forward worried about everything in front of me when I know that it says that the Lord goes before me? Why would I worry when this is the God that I serve? I should anticipate good in my life if I abide by his word. A lot of us think, man, we got a rule book right here, right? Like you're like, man, like I'm sick of religion, man. I'm sick of Christianity. These Christians just sitting in the basement reading the Bible on Sunday morning. That's us. <laughs> And a lot of us are like, man, I'm sick of following this rule book. Well, the reality is God created you and I, right, in the garden, created God, the Adam and Eve. And then he builds a plan for them. And it was built for human flourishing. Like he built the plan. The plan that he set before you was in order that you would succeed. It was in order that it would be according to his design, which was always good, right? He said he creates the heavens and the earth. He says it's good. He creates the animals. He says it's good. He creates everything on the six-day creation. He says it is good. It is good. It is good. It is good. Then he creates you and I, and he said, oh, that's very good. So this double good. Where his <laughs> Some of y'all are. And this is what he created. But then when sin enters, you know what? It's no longer all good. So what does he do? Well, he gives the law of Moses to Moses and he says, this is how you can start guiding my people back to good. But we look at it as a rule book. No, God is saying, no, this is how you flourish. 
So if I know that God is good and I know that his plan is good, then if I follow his plan, I'll be walking in the goodness of God. But a lot of us just say, oh, that's a bunch of rules. I don't want to follow that. Well, that's why it's not going too well. <laughs> that's why our murder rates are higher than they've ever been. That's why suicide rates, I currently travel and speak for a suicide prevention company because suicide rates are double what they were 20 years ago. Why? Well, it's probably because we're not following the rule book. We're not following the guide. We're not doing what God is asking us to do. And we're wondering why the world around us is crumbling. And we wake up in fear every day. Why? Because we've lost hope in the God that's given us the playbook of the plays that we aren't running. We're living a completely separate life apart from what God has called us to. And then we say, man, we're a people of hope. Well, hope comes when we follow. If the coach is telling you to go right and you go left, you can't blame the coach that the play didn't work out. You didn't follow it. So God is calling us back into this. He's calling us into a story and into this story where we are begging to be delivered from our adversary. Just like the woman, we are begging to be delivered from the evil. And I don't know what some of you are struggling with. I'm a guest speaker for the weekend. I don't know what some of you are walking with. I believe that some of you are probably walking with a lot of anxiety about the future. A lot of you are probably walking in with a lot of maybe depression about things that have gone on in the past, fear of the past catching up to you, anxiety of being able to control what's in the future. And here we stand in the middle, both rooted in fear. And we say, we're in fear. I'm scared. I don't know what tomorrow has. And the invitation that Christ gives us this morning is to be invited into a world where I wake up and I'm full of faith and I'm ready for the day and the devil's upset that I woke up again because I know the hope that I have in Jesus. I know what he's given to me. I know what he says about me. I know who he calls me. He calls me his child. He calls me his friend. He calls me his beloved. While the world says that you're a loser, while the world hates you, while the world does anything to make sure that you don't succeed, God looks at you and he says, I have written a path for you that if you walk on, you will see the goodness of God. You will see me. You'll see the goodness of God in the land of the living. That's what scripture says. This is the invitation for you and I. And even though, I love this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, this is our reality. I will fear no evil. It says your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You anoint my head with oil. You fill my cup and it overflows. You set a table before my enemies. Surely your goodness and your mercy shall follow me all of my days, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the hope that you and I are invited to live into. I remember it was 2017, which is almost six, well, it is six years ago, but August 27th was the night that I met the Lord. Um, 2017. And previously to this, I had been a Jersey boy. Pastor Jason was my youth pastor. And I didn't really know the Lord. Um, it wasn't his fault. It was my fault. <laughs> um, and my parents prayed for me every day that I'll come to know Jesus. And I end up going out to Colorado to play basketball. That was my dream to play college basketball. I go out to Colorado. I play in college basketball. And it was the day before my first day of class my freshman year. So I'm 18 years old. I just got to Colorado. And I'm about to start my freshman year of college. And I'm sitting up getting ready for my first day of school, my first week, and I hear banging on my door at two o'clock in the morning. 
And I go out and my dad is there. I'm like, dad, I'm at college, leave me alone. Like, I literally moved across the country to get away from you guys, you know? And uh, my dad's banging at my door and he's crying. I'm like, what's going on? And he tells me that my grandpa had just died. And it's the first day of school's tomorrow. And he tells me we've got to hop on a plane and go back to New Jersey. So I come back to Jersey. And Jersey, I, I didn't know that this isn't normal, the, the open casket stuff. So this is supposedly just a Jersey thing, because when I'm in Colorado, people don't do this. Anyway, so I, <laughs> side note. <laughs> um, so I get back to Jersey. And now my grandfather immigrated to America when he was in his 20s from Italy. Um, he is like the, the godfather of my family. He, he held it all together. And I'm there mourning my best friend, the person that protected me, the person that like built the legacy of our family. And because my, my mom was weeping, my sister was weeping, my father was weeping, I felt I'm 18, I gotta be the strong one here. So I go out to school and what I didn't share with you is that the night before I, I attended a Jeremy Camp concert at Mile High Stadium um, in Denver, Colorado. And Jeremy Camp is playing and he shares this story about his wife who's on her deathbed and she says if anyone comes to know Jesus because of my death it's worth it well this is the first time that I gave my life to Christ it was the night before my grandfather died so I give my life to Christ I said Lord I'm sold out for you I'm ready to live for you and the next day my grandfather dies I go back to Jersey everyone's mourning around me I got to be strong well it put me on a path of three years of numbing my emotions and a lot of people think that people do drugs and sex and rock and roll and all that stuff because you want to numb your emotions. But I think the reality is people who are doing those things have already numbed their emotions and now they're looking to those things to feel something. So for three years now I'm sitting here and I'm engaging in all the things of the world, completely forgot who God is, left, left the church, left the faith, everything. And I'm sitting, I got kicked off my basketball team because of disciplinary reasons a year and a half later. And over the course of a year, I just sat there and gotten increasingly, increasingly, increasingly more depressed, more worried, more my life is going down the toilet. And we were forced to take this class during our winter term in my junior year, and it was called Grief and Loss. And I sat in this class with about 100 people, and I had, you know, my friends, and we're sitting at the table, and we're just like being cool guys, eating snacks and whatnot, um, not paying any attention, and something broke in my heart that day. And for the first time in three years, I mourned the loss of my papa. And I'm sitting there in a class of 100 people, and I start weeping, and my heart breaks, and I'm crying. And, and for the first time in three years, I actually felt something that was natural. I actually felt something. And now scripture says something that's really interesting. It says that Jesus is near to the brokenhearted. So my heart breaks in this class because I'm finally mourning the loss of someone that I loved. And my heart breaks. And as Jesus is drawing near to me, the enemy started drawing near to me as well. So over the next six months, I woke up in the middle of the night at two o'clock in the morning in a sweat and a panic and sleep paralysis, looking around my room and seeing things that were really scary and that I didn't know. And for six months, I started trying to go to church. But then at night, I felt like I was surrounded by the enemy, kept in fear. And I sat there and it came into one night, August 27th, that I'm laying in my bed and I'm hearing an audible voice around me telling me that it's time to take my life. Take your life. Nobody knows you. Nobody loves you. You're living a lie. No one cares about you. No one, even, no one would care if you left. They don't even know the real you because you're living a separate life. And then you present this life while you're here and this life while you're there. Who even are you? You're no one. And I remembered my mom telling me as a kid, she said, if you're ever in trouble, you just speak the name of Jesus. And all fear goes away. And I'm laying in my bed and I'm deciding whether my life is over or not. 
And I just start saying, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And just like the shopping market as a kid, he was just one step away. He was looking for me too. And hope was close. And I thought it was far. I thought I was alone. I thought I was lost. I thought I was forgotten. I thought there was no point in living anymore. And what I didn't know is that Jesus was looking for me twice as hard as I was looking for him. And that hope was close. It wasn't time to give up. It wasn't time to throw in the towel. It was time to lean into the truth that I knew, that I had known my whole life. And it was that Christ cares for you. You are his beloved child. He sees you struggling. He's not wondering where you're going. He's not wondering what's going on. He sees you. He knows you. Scripture says, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. He loves you. He has not left you. Now, there's two realities here that I'm going to close with. And one is that we have an eternal hope. We have an infinite hope in Christ Jesus. This whole passage is about the justice of God. When Christ came on the cross, he removed evil from inside of you. But now when he comes again, he will remove evil from around you. Okay, he is coming to deliver on his promise of justice of what he will do on this earth. And the people that have been walking for him, the people who have been living for him, you are set apart. You are set apart. This is the infinite hope that you and I live in. That one day we will live in a world with no evil, no tears, no crying, no pain, no anxiousness, no depression, no worry. This is the promise for you. This is your portion as a child of God. This is what he has. But we also have a finite hope that Christ sees me today and he sees you today. And he knows what you've been wrestling with. He knows that you thought it would look different by now. He knows that you thought you would be more ahead than you are. He knows that you thought you would have found the spouse. He knows that you thought that your relationship would have worked out better. He knows that you thought you would have been further in your organization. He knows what you're feeling. And he closes this passage and he says, when I come, will I find faith? That's what he asks of you. He's not asking you to grind. He's not asking you to push it to the limit. He's not asking you to perform for him. He's not asking you to get perfect church attendance. He's not asking you to read your Bible every day. He's not asking you to pray to him every day. He's asking you, do you have faith in me that fuels the rest of those things? When I come, will I find faith? I believe that the Lord wants to restore hope in this room this morning. That some of you have been just walking around hopeless for too long. You've been angry. There's been bitterness that's taken root. There's been mourning that has been long surpassed. There's been anxiousness and worry about the future, depression about the past. There's been a lot of reasons to lose hope. But this is only our reality if we look downward and around us. It's not our reality if we look up. And Christ is saying that I didn't just stay up in heaven so that you could suffer down here. No, I came down for you to show you the hope. And I love the great Pastor Graham said this in the first, hope has a name. His name is Jesus. And he calls you his brother. He calls you his sister. He calls you his friend. And that hope is available for you this morning. So the band's going to start playing, but I just wanted to close us in prayer. If you bow your head with me. Jesus, you are the God of hope. Jesus, you will never leave us. You will not forsake us. 
God, you have not left us. Lord, we in this room admit and confess that oftentimes we walk away from you. Oftentimes we do things in our own way. Oftentimes we look to the world for the answers that you want to provide. Lord, we confess that. But God, we pray first for your forgiveness and second that you would just be merciful, which we know that you are. Lord, would you look down with compassion upon your people this morning? And would they know that they are deeply loved, that you are deeply compassionate towards them, that you are merciful and gracious towards them, that there is nothing under the sun that you do not forgive, Lord, and that your love does not cover. You have separated our sin as far as the east is from the west, Lord. So I pray today that our eyes would be open to the hope that we have in Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you open up our hearts? Would we know you deeply? In Jesus' name.